Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Well, good morning and welcome to you all on this wild and crazy holiday weekend. Uh, glad to see that you all managed to uh, get around the obstacles of down trees on the roads and, and all of that to be with us here today. Welcome, and we hope that our, this service of worship um, lifts your spirit and calms you and helps you to draw closer to God. The, uh, I will, it's great to see we have a number of children in the congregation today, and we do have a Sunday school program. And right after the announcements, we're going to have our children's time. So if the children are out in the pews and want to come and, and sit here on, the, on the, the floor in front, then right after I'm finished with the announcements, Miss Nupur will come for the children's time. So feel free to, to come on up uh, to the front uh, now when you want to do that. Uh, just, and I do just have a couple of announcements to share with you this morning. And the main one, of course, is our congregational meeting that will be held next Sunday, uh, May 29th, immediately following the worship service. So next Sunday, we won't have coffee time before the service. Uh, but after the service, you'll be able to go into the auditorium, get some coffee and maybe something special as well, and, uh, and uh, take a seat in the auditorium for our congregational meeting. We are asking that people uh, register uh, if you're planning to attend. This will, we, we have to take attendance, so if you register ahead of time, that will uh, speed up that process. Um, if anyone is here today from Dawei Sant, Croeso uh, Aboreda to you as well. And uh, the thing with the uh, congregational meetings for the amalgamation is that both congregations have their uh, uh, congregational meeting and vote on the amalgamation on the same day. So Dawi Sant will be having their congregational meeting next Sunday as well, but at 10.30 in the morning before your worship service. And then at TEMC, it will be after the worship service. There also is a handout that we would like you to pick up on your way out the door for TEMC folk. Um, on the welcome table, and it is uh, a copy of the Amalgamation Covenant Agreement with the financial plan and the uh, a statement of what the uh, motion will be, what you will be voting on. So please, if you're planning to attend next week, take one of those and please read it before you come to the congregational meeting next week. Um, so that is one important announcement. The other important announcement is our annual congregational picnic. And that is coming up in a couple of weeks on June 12th, and there will be all kinds of food and fun for, uh, for everyone. So we hope that you'll be able to uh, come and join us on the 12th for the church picnic. And now I'll turn it over to Ms. Nupur. And if you want to come forward for the children's time, there's still time. Just come running down the aisle. <laughs> okay. Good morning, everybody. Um, so my name is Nupur James. I'm the director of Youth and Children's Ministry. And um, after the service, I would request kids to just follow me. And, but for today's children's moment, I was thinking about when we were coming to church, we saw 
a lot of trees that has fallen down, right? And there was a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, trees that have just fallen down and we had to like take detour because we were coming from Uxbridge. There are a lot of trees that has just like, um, and the wires have come down, it's a complete disaster. But you know what that made me think about? Um, when these trees, and I was looking at some of the big trees that have just fallen down and some of the little ones are still standing. And that made me wonder, our Christian faith is at times is exactly like that. When we are leaning because the storm and the wind was going in direction and these little trees were able to just go, um, go with the wind and the big ones were just standing still and staying strong. But those are the ones that got the most damage and those are the ones that have fallen down. But in our faith, when we are in the will of God and we follow what God has asked us to do, we are, we're kind of flowing with God and it almost seems easier. I'm not saying that the life will be easy. Life is still going to have difficulty. Just, you know, it's like their lives that things going to happen. But with the flow of God, it just almost, it's easier easy going, going with the flow with God. And in Bible, it says that when our foundation is firm in God, it is, um, it is really, um, it is really good to have like that firm foundation because that's what, um, God would want us from, God would want from us to be doing. And um, so I just wanted you to reflect on it. And when you go back again and see all these trees fallen, just to be reflective of it that, oh, I might want to be with like a little tree that just flows with the wind and stay firm instead of being all strong and be on our own and standing firm because we can only do it for so long. And if we just go with the flow, with the wind, and just rely on God's will in our life, we'll be able to stay firm and stay in foundation what God has want for us. So I'll just invite now all the kids to just follow me to the Sunday school, and we're going to have Sunday school there.
The reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 25 to 40. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which a son of man will give to you. For it is on him that God the Father has sent his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God that is which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. And anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. It is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would everyone please rise, take your hymn books, and turn to number 341 as we sing our hymn of preparation, Ferris, Lord Jesus.
please be seated. Well, this morning is part two of what is going to be a five-part series called Start With Why. And uh, Reverend Orville and I will be exploring over these five weeks some of the, the big why questions of faith and, and why questions of following Jesus and, and of, Christ, of the Christian life. And so last week, if you were here or if you listened online, you uh, would have heard me speaking of why faith, why we have faith. And this morning, of course, the title is Why Jesus. Um, so let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that we can look into the scriptures and see your great love for us and see who you are and, and through you see who God is. And we pray that this morning as we reflect on your word that you would guide our thoughts, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is this man, this simple carpenter, carpenter's son who came to be known, although he was such a, 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 came from a humble life, somehow came to be known throughout the entire world over thousands of years as Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. One pastor tells a story of, of the chance he had to ask a woman, a woman named Ingrid, that very question. And they got into a spiritual conversation. And she said, you know, she had rarely gone to church growing up, but once in a while did. And as an adult, really tended to go only at Christmas and Easter. But even at that, it had been a number of years besides she, uh, a number of years since she had been inside any church at all. So the pastor asked her, Ingrid, suppose I had grown up on a deserted island with nobody around, and I had never been exposed to church or any religion or spirituality of any kind. I'd heard nothing of it, and yet I come to Canada. And I keep hearing about this man called Jesus. So I come to you and ask this question, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus I keep hearing about? How would you answer that question? Ingrid thought for a moment and said, well, to me, Jesus is a religious figure. Um, that some people believe in and, and some people don't. To be honest with you, I, I don't really know what I think about Jesus. Ingrid is certainly not the first person who has responded in that fashion and she won't be the last. There may be some of you here today who would respond the same way. But given the scope of Jesus' impact on world history, that response leaves me a little bit curious. In the history of the world, only one individual has been given the title Savior of the World. 
Only one is believed to have lived a perfect, sinless life, to have died for the sins of all humanity, and to have been raised from the dead by God. I would think that, that just curiosity alone, let alone the implications for us if these claims are actually true, Curiosity alone would drive people to explore the question in depth, who is this Jesus? And more specifically, who is Jesus to me? Right? And is there any reason why I would want to believe in him? Distinguished British theologian Alistair McGrath wrote, Jesus of Nazareth plays a central role in Christian theology. As even a cursory survey of the history of theology makes clear, Christians have always insisted that there is something special, something qualitatively different about Jesus, which sets him apart from other religious teachers or thinkers. But what is special about him? The early church wrestled long and hard with the biblical text to try and work out the best way of making sense of the identity and significance of Jesus. Various approaches were explored, often to be rejected as inadequate. By the fourth century, a consensus can be seen to emerging, a consensus based on the concept of incarnation. This term, based on Latin terms meaning in the flesh, refers to the idea that in Christ, God took human nature on himself in order to redeem it. Wow. Wouldn't you want to explore that idea? <laughs> One of the most important early writings on the Incarnation was an article by the devout and faithful church father Athanasius of Alexandria. And he argued in his early 4th century writing that humanity is in need of redemption. We're basically a hopeless lot, right? <laughs> humanity is in need of redemption, but because all humans are subject to the fall and are imperfect, no one human being is able to bring about perfect redemption. God alone can do that because God alone is perfect. No creature can save another creature, Athanasius says. Athanasius believed that the New Testament writings and the earliest Christian communities acknowledged Jesus as the Savior, as the Savior of the world. But since God alone can save creatures, then he said the only possible solution is to accept that Jesus is God incarnate. If Jesus were merely a human being, then his death cannot redeem humanity. Jesus Christ makes God known on a personal level and is able to do for us what God alone can do. But Jesus' humanity is equally important. 
because our salvation comes through God taking on to himself our ultimate enemy, which is death, our ultimate enemy, and conquering it. But God is eternal and cannot die. So by taking on human flesh in Jesus, God allows himself to become mortal, right? And experience our limitations, experience our suffering. Jesus then is the bridge between a perfect God and a fallen humanity. As much as we can know God personally in Jesus, in Jesus, God also knows and empathizes with our deepest needs and pain. This has been the definitive understanding of who Jesus is in the centuries ever since the earliest church, starting with the people who knew Jesus in the flesh. Now this is, this is very heady stuff, but as with last week, I want to take a bit of a personal turn and tell you a little bit about why I follow Jesus, why I believe in Jesus. Why do I believe he is who he says he is? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I'm only going to give you a couple. I told you last week why I have faith in God, but why specifically Jesus? First, I follow Jesus because of the witness of the first apostles and the earliest Christians. Their witness is extremely convincing to me. These men and women who became the first Christian martyrs were eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry and who were will they were willing to die for the sake of what they knew they had seen and experienced while traveling with Jesus. They knew who he was without a doubt, and they were willing to stand by that to the death. And their martyrdom is attested in many historical writings in the Bible and outside of the Bible. I think of St. Stephen, who you can read about in the Bible, in the book of Acts, who was prayerfully chosen to serve as what we would consider the first deacon in the early church because he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. A group of leaders looking to silence the growing group of Christians seized Stephen because they were threatened by his humility and wisdom. He gave a powerful speech to the leaders which further inflamed their anger because they knew it proved that Jesus was the Messiah and that they were rejecting him the way their ancestors had rejected the prophets before him. As they dragged Stephen, dragged Stephen out and stoned him to death, he lifted his heart to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And with that, he died. And I just find it impossible to believe that anyone would do that unless they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that what they believed was the absolute truth. 
And Stephen was not the only one. 10 out of 12 of Jesus' original disciples, not counting Judas, of course, and John, who who lived to, to an old age, as well as Matthias, the disciple chosen to replace Judas, and many other eyewitnesses died violent deaths because they could not, with integrity, recant what they had told others about who Jesus is and what he had done. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was scourged and then tied to a cross, tied rather than nailed so that he would suffer a longer time. James, the son of Zebedee and Bartholomew were beheaded. Thomas was run through with a spear. James, son of Alphaeus, was hit over the head with a club. Many other followers were crucified, burned, tortured to death, or fed to lions. Who would be willing to do that? Even one person, let alone all of these people, who would be willing to do that unless they were absolutely confident in what Jesus had done and promised? Second, I trust that Jesus was who he said he was because there was no personal glory for him in any of this. He didn't become rich and famous or, well, maybe famous, but certainly not probably the way, you know, any of us would want to. If someone were going to make up a story about a savior, this is not the story they would make up about this humble guy who died. There was nothing in it for him. He knew that all of it was leading to death. And yet he was fully prepared to give his life for the sake of the world, for our sake. No other religious belief system in the world finds its ultimate meaning in the death and suffering of its leader. Buddha, Muhammad, Moses, and Abraham died at ripe old ages, most of them with big families and substantial riches, and their followers find meaning in their lives and in their teachings and believed that their prosperity was a sign of being blessed by God. Jesus, on the other hand, amassed no fortunes and claimed no comforts. He died young, penniless, abandoned by all of his friends, and mocked by total strangers. That's pretty convincing to me. It's also very compelling Because I know that no matter what we go through, Jesus understands because he's been through it and so much more and so much more intensely than we go through it. Physical pain, betrayal, rejection, abandonment, fear, temptation, grief, Failure, injustice, poverty. Because he experienced everything that we could experience and to the nth degree, Jesus understands us probably better than we understand ourselves. 
Jesus understands temptation. He knows your fears. He knows the desires of your heart. He understands the restlessness of your soul. In this morning's reading from the Gospel of John that Adam read so well for us, we find a statement nowhere else that's found nowhere else in the entire scriptures. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That statement would have been like an explosion in the ears of the people who heard it that day. What Jesus basically said was this, what food is to your body, I am to your soul. A lot of people will say that they think that Jesus didn't really live as a historical figure, that he was a myth, right? But that's just not credible. It's not credible to say he was a myth. First, thousands of followers would not die for a myth. And second, his life is attested by Josephus, a first century Jewish historian who is not a follower, not a follower of Jesus, and therefore had no personal bias. And, and, um, and other attestations. A lot of people will say that, that Jesus was a good man, a prophet, a teacher, but that he was not the son of God. <laughs> that brings to mind the famous C.S. Lewis quote, and I, I'm sure you've all heard it before and at the risk of being redundant, I, I, I'm going to read it to you because it's just such a great quote where Lewis writes, I'm trying to prevent the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say, Lewis writes. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. We have so much access to information in our day and age. So much opportunity to explore for ourselves who did Jesus say he was? Who have others throughout history said that he was? And why would I want to follow him? Model my life after his? Why would I want to be like him? I've told you why I believe, but don't take my word for it. I encourage you to to explore those questions. Why Jesus? Explore it for yourself. You can pick up the Bible and read the New Testament. If 
you don't have a New Testament, there, there's probably one in the pew that you can take home with you. There are books that I can recommend for you if you ask me. The magnitude and the implications of this question, why Jesus, are so great that you don't want to just ignore it. Thanks be to God. Amen.